Hi, my name is Josh Weinberg. I am with Archangel Tablets, and it's my absolute pleasure to be a sponsor of uh, CLS and an ambassador-level partner of NCEA. Thank you. Welcome to the NCEA podcast. This is Colleen McCoy-Sika, Director of Professional Learning for NCEA, and I am here reporting today live and in-person at the Catholic Leadership Summit with Mr. Mark Wong, Superintendent of Schools here in the Diocese of Salt Lake, and with the principal of Juan Diego Catholic High School, Dr. Gailey Colosimo. And we're here today to talk about an incredible story that built a beautiful high school on campus. This is our, our host site for the CLS this year, and we're so glad to be visiting and just thrilled that they have uh, allowed us to, to take over their school for a few days. And so um, to share a really amazing story, I'm first going to uh, just ask them to introduce themselves, tell a little bit about themselves, and then we're going to jump into the history of the school. So Mark, why don't you go first? Can you share a little bit about, a bit about yourself? Sure. My name is Mark Long. I'm the, the current superintendent, as you mentioned. This is my seventh year. Prior to that, I was an administrator for 19 years in our diocese. I was a middle school teacher before that, and I, I actually started in the Diocese of Orange in California. So this is my 34th year in Catholic education. Thank you. You're welcome. And Dr. Colosimo. Uh, so similar story, I mean, uh, Catholic school people tend to be lifers. I began my Catholic school experience in 1963 at the age of five. I entered kindergarten in August of that year. And I always remember because in November of that year, that was the year that uh, John F. Kennedy was shot and killed. He was killed on a Friday afternoon. And I was at a school called Kern St. Anne that was filled with Irish Catholic nuns. And of course, John F. Kennedy's picture was just plastered everywhere. And that was my first memory of it. But uh, so I went all the way through Catholic schools and um, I, I was a teacher and I became a principal at a couple of our elementary schools. And then there got to be a point in the early 1990s where all of us were beginning to see that there we were just kind of out of aces, that the diocese had changed, the demographics had changed. And so I was put in charge of a project. Uh, government, or the bishop called me and said, well, you've got no money, we have no land, but let's see what we can do about building a high school in the south part of the valley. And so that was a four-year process. And in 1999, we opened the Skies Catholic Center which is a K through 12 school, and I have been the principal of the high school ever since. So as I pulled up to the curb yesterday to come into the school and set up for the event, I saw that name all over this beautiful campus. Who is Mr. Skaggs? Can you talk about the history there a little bit? Well, Sam Skaggs and his wife, Aline, were uh, great benefactors. They became very wealthy in the grocery store and drugstore business. Their claim to fame is that in the late 1950s, Mr. Skaggs, who owned drugstores and grocery stores that were on opposite uh, sides of the block, realized that it might be a really good idea to take the pharmacy part of the drugstore and put it inside of the grocery store. And it doesn't sound like that much of an innovation, and certainly we're all used to that today, but at the time, in 1958, when he did that, it just set the industry on fire, and he was building, uh, he built uh, grocery stores as fast as he possibly could, could build them, and what he found out is that 
He made a lot of money on pharmacy and not so much on tuna fish. And so he became kind of this market leader. He started in 1955 with 11 stores. And by the time he retired in 1994, he had 1,800 stores. And at the end of his retirement, he had kind of had made the decision that he wanted to convert from being a lifelong Methodist to being a Catholic. And so at the exact same time we were trying to kind of figure out how to build this enterprise, he was taking instruction to become a Catholic. The two of them came together. He decided to help. First it was a little bit, and then eventually it was the entire thing. So this entire campus was built through the funds of one very wealthy convert to the Catholic Church, Mr. Sanskags, and his wife, Aline. What a testament to their legacy, this campus is. I, I wish this, it's not a visual podcast, but you know what a moment to be able to share a picture of this campus. So that's an incredible story and what a, what a, how lucky you are. Everyone is always looking for those types of benefactors. So yeah, excellent. So this campus, so it's not just a high school campus. That's, that's kind of the, you know, the thing here is you, you pull onto the campus and it's how many acres of land is it and, and what goes on here? There's all kinds of buildings everywhere. So the vision from the very beginning was for it to, we call it cradle to, cradle to college. So mm-hmm. for the very beginning, you know, babies at the six weeks of age can come on campus. We have a full daycare and extended day program and you know, we've been around long enough now that we have high school graduates that started as, you know, in the uh, infant care room rather than guardian angel daycare. So the idea is that it would be cradle to college. We would have daycare for babies. We'd have preschool. We'd have a K through five school in a separate building. And then we had a six through eight grade middle school uh, that is an appendage of the high school and then a nine through 12 high school building. So it's basically cradle to college. So that was a very kind of unique concept that we we're able to develop and it's been quite beneficial for us because the economies of scale are enormous by doing that. And then just the collaboration and the curriculum that goes on. And Mr. Skaggs built everything, you know, bought all 57 acres and he did everything but the parish church. And we left room for the parish church. And then three years after we opened um, the pastor who was assigned, he started off in our auditorium, but three years after he had built the parish church. So, so just for clarification, so on this campus, we have Guardian Angel Daycare. We have St. John the Baptist Elementary School, St. John the Baptist Middle School Academy, and then Juan Diego Catholic High School. And then, as Gailey mentioned, there's a parish that's literally on the same campus. And Mark, so this concept of the, you know, preschool all the way, or daycare, it's daycare, right, all the way through mm-hmm. um is there a vision around that in this diocese to do more of this? Do you see bigger benefits to this type of campus? Well, as Gailey mentioned, we're talking about just the, the way you can you can operate much more efficiently when you have a K-12 complex. You can improve programming really at, at every grade level, and you can really um, share resources with personnel as well. So if you have a talented group of teachers, you know, I was a K-12, principal for a long time. And, you know, when you lost your advanced math teacher, you lost your science teacher. It was so difficult to find one teacher where at these larger complexes, when you can share the high school science teachers and the high school math teachers, it just makes a lot of sense. And so we we are actually looking at it with our, our, we've already started actually with our um, high school in the North called Judge Memorial um, to to create another K-12 system similar to this system in the north part of the valley. 
that's very exciting to hear. Um, it makes a lot of sense. And when we talk about, um, you know, operational vitality and everything that goes into being able to be good stewards of all of our resources, of our funds, but also our, our personnel, as you stated, as everything that we do on a campus, it just makes sense. So that's, that's great to hear. So let's, let's come back to specifically talking about Juan Diego Catholic High School. There's been some national recognition around this school. Uh, again, as I pull up to the curb and I see Mr. Skagg's name and I see a beautiful statue out front and I see uh, all along the building is a beautiful banner that you're a national blue ribbon school. So there's recognition around that, but also around the construction of this incredible building. So talk a little bit about both of those things. So when, um, it's interesting, we, we began in 1997, we sat down with four architects, four Mormon architects, and uh, we had spent two years from 1995 to 1997, basically studying all uh, high school architecture, Catholic architecture, private school architecture, public school architecture. So it formed, it, it gave us a lot of ideas about what to do. And so by the time 1997 rolled around, I think we'd probably visited 100 uh, schools. And we saw examples of unbelievably great uh, construction and examples of an unbelievably large amount of money that was spent that ended up being a complete disaster. And so what we realized very, very early on is that we had to kind of build the campus itself that was based upon our Catholic values. And uh, the Benedictine order is big in our diocese because Mount Angel Seminary is a uh, Benedictine seminary. They train all of our seminarians and priests. And so we kind of looked at the, what the Benedictines have done. And what we had kind of said is that if you think of Benedictine uh, education and their influence, was very, very influential order, it really comes down to th three things. And, you know, one is faith, two is community, and the third is this commitment to reading, learning, and the liberal arts. And so when we created this campus, um, we sat down and within, by the time we finally hired an architect two years later, we sat down with the architects. We knew exactly what we wanted in terms of the structure of it. The rest were details. Where does the bathroom go? Where does the gym go? But the concept of it is this campus has a focal point that is the central cross tower and right next to it is the grotto of uh, Guadalupe and Juan Diego. But then emanating out from that central fo focal point are structures that represent those three fundamental Catholic values, and that's faith, community, and learning. Excellent. The um, artwork, as I was coming down the hall just now to your office, talk a little bit about that artwork. That's not what you typically see in a Catholic high school. Where did that come from? Well, so when we started in 1995, 96, uh, I had had extensive Catholic experience working and going to school at a, uh, it was a former orphanage, and it was run by the Sisters of the Incarnate Word. And the school that we were in was a 100-year-old building, and it was adorned with just this unbelievably great traditional Catholic iconic artwork. And then kind of my boss at the time, the Vicar General, Monsignor Fitzgerald, had kind of had some of the same experiences. And so it's 1995, and quite frankly, we were coming out of Vatican II, we were coming out of this experience where so many of the churches and schools that were built in the 80s and 90s kind of resembled four bare walls in a sermon. And they lacked a certain beauty, they lacked a certain style. And we were very committed from the very beginning that we would adorn the school with art, with, with all kinds of art and all kinds of different styles. And Mr. Skaggs was so helpful that like we have an annual tradition of trying to purchase one 
piece of artwork, commissioned usually, sometimes donated. And, you know, over 22 years, you can really gather a lot of artwork. And so that's kind of our idea. Most of it's eclectic. But the idea was like in kind of a throwback. We were kind of throwback people that really felt like Vatican II, in its attempt to simplify so many things, ended up taking a lot of statues and iconography and put it in the basement and in the ceiling. And we wanted to change that. We wanted to bring it back and have it be a place where there was artwork all over the place because we really feel like we kind of say this all the time that you know you know beauty is a pathway you know to the almighty and so that was the goal from the very beginning and we try every single year to find one or two pieces and at first we had to buy them and at first we had to commission them but now we're getting to the point where people know about us and they donate stuff to us and so it's just like out of the clear blue sky, like two years ago, we had this beautiful wood card or Lady of Guadalupe statue that's now in our, our chapel. And the artist was very devoted to it, committed to it. It's a priceless piece. She carved it completely out of the tree trunk of a, of a, of a tree in her backyard. And it had been all over the world. And it was all dressed up, but nobody really wanted it. And when she saw what we were doing here, she gave it to us. And it's valued at about $350,000. It's a one-of-a-kind piece. It sits in our... So that's what happens when you're committed to something. You know, sometimes you have to pay for it. Most of the time you have to pay for it. But sometimes you get lucky and people give it to you. That's an incredible story. Um, in Catholic schools, we're really good at, at the good and the true. Um, but we do sometimes forget about the beautiful. The beautiful is here. You walk through the halls and you see all the beauty. So... Um, it, you can tell that that's very intentional and in everything that you're doing in the space here for the students. So let's let's switch gears a little bit and talk about some of the um, educational initiatives that you have going on. You have some really excellent technology in this building. And, um, you know, there's we had to be innovative with technology over the course of the last couple of years. But talk a little bit about the vision of what you're doing differently um, when you started these initiatives and where you see them going. You know, if you look at the last 30 years of technologies in schools, what you see is, for the most part, schools have been able to info, uh, provide inside the, their schools a really rich technology uh equipment. It, you know, it's really rich. It's a rich technology, but it didn't move test scores. It didn't change test scores. It was just a bunch of equipment and a lot of technology, and it sat in classrooms and libraries and computer labs. But if you looked at the impact on test scores, it was nothing. And so we uh, got heavily involved through a legislative process to try to participate in a state law called the Statewide Online Education Program 12 years ago. And what it was is that we could see, especially in the high school, that more and more the technology was getting good enough that students could take uh, online classes in conjunction with what they were doing in the brick and mortar schools. But and sometimes, at first it started really like simple. It's like, well, if you don't teach Chinese Mandarin, take an online class. Or if your school doesn't have calculus, you know, BC, then here's a way to do online. That's how it started. But our idea was different. We thought from the very beginning that we didn't want... Uh, this online approach to be peripheral, just to fill in and to do credit recovery. We want it to be right at the heart of our school. So we adopted this idea called blended online learning. And at Juan Diego, every single class in our school, it's taken us nine years, but every single class in our school is a blended online learning class, including the theology one. And that's kind of what we believe is going to happen, is that the brick and mortar schools are not going to go away. 
But if all you do is brick and mortar and you don't ever use the power of online learning and the technology that's out there and how good the content is getting and how effective the instruction is getting, you're going to be really, really behind. And so we've been pushing really, really hard this idea of blended online learning where you take the best of both worlds and, you know, all the technology in the world doesn't replace that special, hopefully, interaction that happens in the classroom between students and their teacher. And yet, at the same time, if that's all you do, then you don't take advantage of what students are going to experience when they go to high, to college and beyond, and you don't take advantage of, like, there's really a lot of wonderful content and instruction out there. And so we've been blending and blending and blending for about nine years. And when COVID hit, we didn't have to do very much at all. We just came back the following you know, weekend, and we started more of a full online class. But our preference is blending online learning. And so have you found that students are able to leave school? So they're they're getting college credits while they're here. Are you seeing that um, help with your students that are going on to college that they're even more prepared when they get there? Well, I think our students have always been prepared. And I think yeah. high school, college, Catholic schools are always prepared. But kind of what we're seeing is part of it is just the way it's moving. Part of it is you always want to have a market edge. But what we see more and more is we're trying to take the K through 12 curriculum and move it down so that by the time students are in the 11th, 12th grade, they have a lot of opportunity to take uh, dual enrollment courses. They have opportunity to take more AP courses. And then in concert with that, we partnered with, uh, out of the clear blue, Arizona State University. And so it doesn't really make sense, but the two come together and They've been very, very helpful in terms of helping us with technology, with content, and with coming up with this idea of saying, it's not just dual enrollment, but we've actually been able to kind of combine dual enrollment with AP courses. And so that's another like development because we really believe in AP and like our school is a huge AP school. We've won several awards based upon our AP participation. But what students have found is that when they go to college, that AP promise of it being all this college credit hasn't really materialized. And I think we all know that. Well, yeah, you took this AP class, but you got a three, so no big deal. Yeah, you got a five, but you got a five in biology. You're going to major in, in biology, so you can't take it. It's all this disappointment. So what we're working with Arizona State on is basically combining the dual enrollment uh, curriculum that colleges are providing with AP, with the AP class, with the AP structure. So that's another blended development that's just now coming to to the forefront that I think if we, I think we'll have something if we can really, it's difficult because, you know, colleges really, really are very protected inside their ivory tower of not allowing any of that content to kind of leave their, their campus. But the, the reality of it is, is the content has already left their campus. The content is spread throughout the entire valley. And the winners and losers in terms of this race of how to, redevelop and reshape your K through 12 are going to be the ones that kind of recognize that and figure out a way to take all of that content that's out there and bring it together so that it creates unbelievable new opportunities for teachers inside their brick and mortar classroom. Was it hard for you to find an innovation part? I'm thrilled to hear that you're partnering with ASU. ASU is literally like in my backyard. That's where I live. So, um, you know, their main campus is right there down the street from my house. Uh, so I'm happy to hear that. And I know that they're an innovative university. 
was it hard for you to find an innovative partner? Well, like we didn't want Arizona no. State. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we explain how we we, we wanted every we wanted every uh, we went everywhere. We went you know, to local liberal arts colleges, we went to community colleges, we went to the big university, and nobody in Utah was really really interested. But the president of Arizona State University is a gentleman by the name of Michael Crow, and if you kind of Google him, you'll find that he's a very very innovative, creative thinker. Arizona State is. Like for the last five years in a row, has been considered the most innovative university in America. President Crow's idea, even though he's not Catholic, is extremely Catholic. And so what he says is that there is a place at our university for every different student and for every style of learner. And what they're trying to do is develop multiple pathways for students to be successful. So they're not just looking for the four L's. They're not just looking for the Rhodes Scholars. They're not just looking for the the, the run-of-the-mill, straightforward kids. They're looking for all of those kinds of students. And then they're trying to find pathways for all of those students that work together. And what he says, we can do all of that while at the same time becoming being an excellent research university. And so if you look at their, their mission statement, it's it's, it's it's an egalitarian approach to meet the needs of all students while at the same time not sacrificing excellence. Well, if you really think about that, that's a Catholic ideal. Like that's what we've always tried to do is that we've always believed that we can take all kinds of different students with all kinds of abilities and all kinds of different backgrounds. And yet at the same time, at the end of the day, at the end of the year, at the end of their four-year period, we find that there's a tremendous amount of excellence that's built into that. And see, most other universities think it's an either-or thing. They think, well, we're going to be this unbelievable research university that only takes the finest students, the best students, and we're going to have this reputation that's worldwide, like we're Stanford University, and there's no room for the rest. And see, President Crow rejected that. And so it was an accident. I didn't really know that, but because they just said yes to what we were doing, we went with them. And it ended up being a nice partnership because... Their philosophy is our philosophy. And they're just not working with high schools. Um, in two weeks, several of our principals are going to go visit ASU, and they're going to look at um, some model schools where online blended learning is being implemented. And so it's our goal. I mean, Gailey's done a, a tremendous job implementing this nine years ago, and now we're actually kind of dropping it down into the middle school, and we're looking at how we can do what they're doing at the high school level at the elementary level as well. So that's where we're moving. Um, we've already got some middle school uh, programs um, utilizing the program at ASU as well. So it, it's now now available to our middle school students, which helps differentiate instruction. And that's what we're really talking about with blended learning. It helps the teacher. Um, I, I know if, if teachers are listening to this, they know how difficult it is sometimes to differentiate instruction. This is this is um, another tool to help them and to be able to um, provide that curriculum. It's very good for marketing too. I mean, like this is cutting ads, and it's something that absolutely there are very few schools that are doing this. Like if we talk to our public school partners inside the state of Utah, they see all of this online learning as a just piece, is kind of the out-of-the-way piece. And what it's for is credit recovery, and for the most part. And then it's for if a student wants a really unusual class like Mandarin Chinese. They do not see blended online learning as an integral thing that happens in every classroom 
every single day to prepare students for this world where we're going to have to function, certainly in college, but then beyond. I mean, how many Zoom calls have we been on? How many webcasts have we been on? Think of all the learning that's out there that is basically blended online learning at both the college and the uh, in, in, in business settings. So we think we're actually on the cutting edge of it. And we, but we didn't want to reject, you know, see, so that was the first thing. It's going to be online learning. It's going to be online learning. Well, it's not. It, 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 if it's just online learning, it won't be very Catholic. So what we know is that inside of a Catholic school, inside of a Catholic classroom, there is generally, or not, there should be this interaction that goes on between teacher and student that not only builds that community inside the classroom, but then infuses it with the ethical and moral imperative that we as a Catholic entity really, really believe in. When you're sitting in the basement getting through just a pure online class, that would be devastating to Catholic education. That's not the way we work. And yet, at the same time, if we don't bring in the really, really good elements of online learning to blend with this teacher-student relationship in a brick-and-mortar environment, then we would be doing our students a disservice, and we would also not be taking advantage of how that technology can make the classroom experience even richer. And so what's happening is we just have to be able to get teachers to understand this because it's just so difficult for them to let low, but let go. But see, the content that's being created online is getting really, really good. And the instruction is getting really, really good. And the research is starting to show that a lot of this content, a lot of this instruction, if it's done that way, actually is superior to, happen, to what happens in a brick and mortar classroom. So you begin to say, well, what's going to happen to teachers? If they'll trust it, teachers then become even more important. See, they're afraid they're going to be less important, but that's yes. not going to be the case. They're mm -hmm. going to be far more important in a blended online learning world. And what happens is they get liberated to then move over and to begin to have uh, many uh, moral and ethical conversations, and they begin to actually move up and talk, what we always say, how do you, we want to be up on the top of Bloom's taxonomy. But it's hard to be up on Bloom's taxonomy when so much of that classroom time is spent at the bottom of the pyramid just going over the content. And so if this works well, the content and the instruction, so much of it can happen in the online world so that when they are in the classroom, the fun, it's actually going to be really fun for teachers, and it is really fun. Their, their, focus is, their focus can be on evaluation, it can be on analysis, it can be on synthesis, it can be on these higher order thinking skills that we always espouse, but it's very, very difficult to get to because we've got to spend all this time talking about the five causes of the Civil War, and we actually don't do it very well. Ken Burns did it a lot better, and so if they just watch Ken Burns at night and then we flip the classroom so that when they come into the classroom during the day, you can have these really robust conversations about, well, was he right? Was he wrong? Are there different theories? And then you force students to think about that. You force them to analyze it, and then they have to write and discuss. These are all the things that sit at the very top of Bloom's taxonomy, and so that's what why we see the future of it is it's not so that they'll get done quicker and it's not so they'll learn Mandarin Chinese, but it's so that they'll be a much more educated mind. And what it leads to is what has always been the Catholic ideal, and that is the wisdom question. So we just don't want them to know the five causes of the Civil War. We want them to walk away with the wisdom about what that war meant and how the, their wisdom will inform them to be citizens in the world where the moral imperative, whether it's in a debate about 
various wars or in a boardroom or just in how you treat an employee, see the wisdom that a student has learned that should then become the wisdom of who they are as adult leaders or working in boardrooms or working for businesses. That should be part of what is a huge contribution of Catholic education to the morality of the United States of America and beyond. And I think Catholic schools have always done a great service for that with that. And we can continue to do it. We just have to move with the technology. And so it's understanding what is the core of who you are while at the same time moving with the technology so you continue to be relevant, but actually even more powerful. Because these kinds of conversations are not talked about in public education. What, what it's all about in public education is efficiency. How can we save money and how can we get this done and how can we do this? And it's like factory model of education using technology for a factory model. And we reject it. We're using technology not for more factory. We're using technology to free up the content and instruction so that these deep philosophical wisdom questions can be debated and discussed in the classroom so that we graduate students that are more moral, more articulate, more ethical. You speak my language. Curriculum and instructional integrated with technology. It's such a beautiful thing. You really lay it out there perfectly. So thank you for that. And what a visionary approach. And I, what I would love to talk to you about next, but it would have to be a whole other podcast is, and so how do you onboard your faculty to, (laughs) to see your vision and execute your vision to make this happen? Because it's incredible. We've been doing it nine years. And what I know is it takes three years for a teacher to come up on it online. And it takes a tremendous amount of professional development. And so it's a cycle. Like you can, it's not like, well, let's just have these two uh, uh, professional development days and they're going to become one of online teachers. That's not the way it is. It cycles and it cycles and it cycles and it cycles. And about the, if they stay with it after about the third year, they really become blended online teachers. And so what's happened is, see, education's behind because our, our teacher colleges don't do this. They don't produce students that come out having this ability no. to manage technology. And so... Mm-hmm. With our EANS money, we're starting a whole program in conjunction with Arizona State University. It's a two-year program. And what we're trying to do is get them to actually achieve a digital teacher certification that will go side-by-side with their regular certification. And the thing that's amazing to me is that this thing's been, this is not a surprise. This wasn't like COVID. It's been going on for 20 years. Yes. And the technology has been available. and It's been available. Why did it take until now for this I know, I know, but that's why I'm saying it. it's visionary. You're you're bringing it to the forefront, and it's great. So we're looking at four levels of certification. So when you talk about, okay. you know, it's it's not a one and done mm-hmm. workshop. And I, you know, at principals meetings when we discuss this, you know, we have to understand as, for example, a second grade teacher trying to get their their head around this idea and saying, well, what do you mean? This is how I do this. So we understand that we have to show them. Um, the benefits of digital learning and how they can how how it can supplement, augment, and help them in, at their specific grade level. So that's the idea um, is to have that ongoing, continuous professional development of these teachers. Yeah, right. yeah. And you have to be patient because it just doesn't stick. See, that's the there's a big fallacy of professional development, and we all do that, right? We go to a conference and you're there for 45 minutes, and you think it's great, and you walk away, and then you come back to school. And just sits in your folder and it doesn't really get used. And so we, we started this nine years ago. 
So we have 90 courses here at Juan Diego Catholic High School. 88 of those 90 courses are blended online learning courses. And if I could figure out how to get the other two, I would. But I just said that nine years ago. We are going to move in this direction. We're not. See, I rejected online. And I also knew we couldn't just be brick and mortar. A lot of it was because our graduates, come, we'd always have our graduates come back after Christmas. And, and they'd be in college. And I said, well, what, what's going on? What they what we learned is what was going on out there is that there was this blend between the classroom teacher, a professor, and a brick and mortar auditorium and all this online work. So we had to move into that in some way, shape, or form. You know, and so we started doing that and it took a long time, like I think the first three or four years, holy teeth, it was really, really hard just getting like maybe twenty or thirty courses. But then when we partnered with Arizona State University, it just rocketed. I mean, we went from probably by the time We've been there for three years, but by the time we got to them, we were like at 45. And within, you know, two and a half years, we went from 45 to 88, every single course. Mm-hmm. We, we try to think that way. So. so imagine now a new teacher coming into Juan Diego. They really don't have an option because it's already happening here. So they, they step into the, this program, they get trained, and that's just the way it is now. See, we worked in partnership with Arizona State University, and I think that digital certification course it's, I mean, I think it's award-winning. you got to see really how robust it is and how smart it is and how it just really, really targets what we think is the heart of the matter. And it's doable and it's cyclical and you don't have to make every single uh, course to do it. And then there's also a practicum that was involved with it. So it's not, they really do have to demonstrate that the skills of blended online learning have been acquired and demonstrate that in order to get their certification. And one of the other ways we're looking at rolling that, this out is I mentioned that St. John the Baptist is on site. So that will be kind of our first lab school, if I can use that word lab school, so that our other K-8 elementary schools can come in. They can they can observe, they can be trained here on site um, as, as we get more and more of our teachers digitally certified. I'm so glad we got to have this conversation today, and I look forward to sharing this podcast out to other people to listen to, because what you have going on is really going to get, I mean, it's got my wheels turning, and this is very exciting, and it's it's going to get the, the wheels of other system leaders and school leaders and educators excited as well about the future of education, because this is it, you're onto it. So I, I'm going to leave it right there, and I want to thank you both for being my guests today on the NCEA podcast, Mr. Mark Long and Dr. Gailey Colosimo. Thank you so much for your insights, for your leadership and everything you do in Catholic education. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. We'll see you next time. 